Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Kevin is here with some news about The Crossing 2, a release window for Johnny Toe's The Office, some Udine news, and an update on Little Big Master. And a bit later, I'll be talking about the latest Francis M. Simon Yam vehicle, Two Thumbs Up. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of East Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of Asia. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his news desk inside a red minibus that is lost in Taipo is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hey, Paul. Uh, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? How are you feeling? We were both sick last week. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful that it's another weekend, despite uh, having a five-day weekend last weekend. So you can never have enough of weekends, right? No, this is true. This is true. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's another TGIF, and uh, I just came out of a film before we recorded, and I was really moved by the film, so I feel like kind of talking about it a little bit. Yeah, what was it? It was a it was a South Korean film named uh, "Ode to My Father," and in fact, I will be mentioning this film again a little bit um, when I talk about the Udine Farvis Film Festival. But actually, it's a huge hit in South Korea. I think almost had um, fifteen million admissions um, over the Christmas holiday and the New Year holiday as well. And uh, it just opened today here in Hong Kong. Uh, it's a kind of tearjerker. It's like Forrest Gump set. In Korea, starting from the Korean War, tracking the life of one man, except that man isn't a uh, isn't mentally uh, handicapped; he's just a normal man. But he is sort of um, witness to these huge historical events over his life, and running into these um, figures who would turn out to be very famous people later on. And it's a very moving film, and I don't think um, I think I'm a, I haven't cried in a movie this like this hard ever. There's once that the emotional climax of the film, the last 20 minutes, like it will make, I think, any person just lose it. In mm-hmm. the, it's like tear gas was set off in the cinema. That's how, you know, that's how big it was. So is this like um, uh, Korea centric in terms of like the people that, I mean, do you have to know a lot about Korean culture to get some of the references? Um, there were a lot of like references, but the international version added captions on the screen so that you know who these people that that uh, the characters run into are, and um, the locations and the time. So you're caught up. So all you kind of have to know is the basics, like about how the uh, the Koreas were separated, the Korean War, and and how it's actually still a national trauma um, to that generation even to this day. So as long as you get that basic um uh, idea about the korean psyche i think you you it's really easy to get into it despite the really local references in the film mm, sounds interesting yeah i have to try and uh, look that up if i have the time yeah, of course, def- uh, definitely should make an effort yeah. yeah i don't have a i haven't even gotten out to see the uh what is it the 
Fast and Furious 7, or FF7, I guess they're calling it. Yeah, 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 that one, yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? I did. I saw it last week, actually, on the second day. Was was that a tearjerker, too? I've, I've heard uh, I've heard that some people uh, eh, kind of got misty-eyed in that. I got a little moved, but actually, it's a little odd, because they keep saying to this, and, and it's not really a spoiler, because the directors have already ta- said it, that they're, they were going to kill off the characters. So it's really odd that they keep saying goodbye to this character who isn't dead and still alive and well on screen. And yet they keep saying goodbye to him. Hmm. So it's a very, so it, it, it's like life intruding into art, except the art doesn't really recognize real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah, I hope to get out and see that. And maybe we'll uh, feature that on a future West screen episode if and ever, if we ever get to one of those on this uh, east screen west screen podcast <laughs> uh but for now i think it's time to take it over to kevin at the news desk with some news here at the news desk this week actually quite a packed week uh, a lot of new little news tidbits, and this is after film art. Nothing to do with film art, actually. But um, a few news pieces. Let's start with John Woo. Um, there was a, a exhibitor seminar that took place in Beijing earlier this week. So um, a lot of the film companies in China came out and reviewed uh, uh, the latest news about um, their big productions coming up this summer. Um, and the National Day holiday in October. So a few of the news pieces, you know, you got Tiny Times 4 confirmed to be coming out in the summer. Um, a, a, a big uh, adventure uh, called, uh, from from director Lu Chuan, the director of City of Life and Death. Uh, you also have the, the release date of Dante Lam's uh, sports film, To the Four. I already talked about this last week when I talked about film art. But the two big pieces of news that uh, we can talk about here is first about John Woo's The Crossing. Jo- uh, Paul, have you seen The Crossing? I, I have not not seen The, the Crossing yet. It's on my okay, so part, to watch list yet. Okay, so part one, um, as, you, as you know, there's a two-part historical epic. Um, it's about the sinking of a ship called the Taiping. Um, the problem is that the part one... At the end of part one, the characters haven't even gotten on the ship yet. So let's not even talk about the sinking. They haven't even told you who are going to be on the ship when it sinks yet. So um, the film didn't do well in the China box office uh, last December, even though there were huge, huge expectations and it's a big budget film. So um, the distributor has been a bit reluctant to reveal the release date of part two. So... um, Love Vision Pictures, who is the distributor but not the producer of the film, they um, took the stage uh, this week and they actually talked about the film and they revealed that the Hong Kong director, Trey Hark, um, who was once John Woo's very close collaborator and they had a very public falling out uh, over the, um, the, I think, part three of A Better Tomorrow. So that was a very, very public falling out between these two collaborators. But apparently they've, they've made amends and um, they're becoming they're like best friends again. Uh, so Trey Hark has been brought on to re-edit part two of The Crossing, um, hopefully in time for a summer release. This is a huge deal because uh, Trey Hark has been 
concentrating on directing his own films in China. Um, last year, the taking of Tiger Mountain made a lot of money in China, and you know he did the two Detective D movies, and um, he hasn't produced a film uh, in ages, and obviously. He hasn't worked with John Woo for you know several decades. So the fact that these two um, huge, huge uh, Hong Kong filmmaking figures are getting back together and Trey Hark's being brought in to save John Woo's film is is, is a very um, interesting development in Hong Kong Hong Kong uh, cinema history, or at least for history buffs of Hong Kong cinema. Um, Paul, uh, what do you what do you think? Does this make you? More, I mean, I'm not. Sh- you didn't find enough time to watch The Crossing, or you were just not interested. I, I don't. I wasn't in Hong Kong when it was was out. I think because it huh. was it was December release, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like Christmas. It, it was. It was. I was gone by the time I was back here, and I didn't have a chance to catch it. Um, or otherwise, I probably would have seen it. But um, yeah, you know the, the the thing with these big historical epics, though, they, you know, I, I we actually finally watched. Um, the golden era last weekend and oh my gosh it's like i want my three hours back um and that's a film that's very interesting because of the history of it but it's so detailed you know it's like i think for the even somebody like me who's a little bit of a history buff when it comes to china was kind of you know lost in the number of people they were bringing in um who were so specific to the literary world of of china during that period um, and so this, you know, knowing that this is a two-parter kind of makes me just want to wait, you know, till the whole thing's out on video and I can take it in, in bits and pieces like we did with the Golden Era. I, I think that part one and part two with you know, two different editors, part one was edited, or at least in name, um, in the credits by David Wu, who was actually another a longtime John Wu collaborator, and he was brought in to edit the part two of Red Cliff. So that's why it's a little weird that the film came out the way it is, and, and a lot of people deem it to be a disappointment. Um, and now Trey Harkis being brought to save the film. So, so yeah, I, I'm very interested to see how part two turns out. Because even the um, vice president of marketing for Vice, uh, what was it called? Um, sorry, Love Vision. Love Vision Pictures literally called part two a disaster for the company. So for for the, for someone to be that honest, and I think they're putting a lot of hopes on Trey Hart uh, saving this this film. Yeah, I don't know how much you know. I mean, there, there's a lot of power in editing, but uh, if what you have to begin with is really pretty bad, then yeah, there's only so much you can do as an editor, um, unless he plans to like throw in a lot of uh, a lot of smoke and and lights effects and uh, maybe some. You know Chinese ghost story music in the background or something. <laughs> I don't know. It took like ten months to shoot, so I'm sure that John Woo has a lot of footage. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we'll, I guess uh, time will tell. I, I think the point that, that you make about having two different editors, maybe giving it two different feels, is kind of interesting too. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, if the two films don't really seem to mesh together well at all. Yeah, I, I'm kind of excited now to see what what the that's like kind of like Redcliffe two, Redcliffe one and Redcliffe two. Redcliffe two was actually um, the editing style was, was quite different. Yeah, from yeah, that's one. true. And uh, I think uh, you know uh, we could probably say similar things about uh, Tiny Times, right? No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Although you did mention Tiny Times four is is now getting a release because apparently, correct me if I'm wrong. 
the issue with that film was because of the J.C. Chow uh, bust, right? Yes, uh, J.C. Chan uh, was... J.C. Chan, sorry, yeah. And yeah, yeah. One of the people who was busted in, in that, that incident was Kai Ko, the, the Taiwan actor um, who has a supporting but fairly important supporting role in the franchise. Um, but the announcement is that he's been completely cut out of part four. And I think that was possibly the reason why the film was delayed. It was supposed to come out during the New Year, um, and and now it's been pushed back to the summer. We don't even, we still haven't even seen a part three release here yet. So I'm still waiting for that. Apparently, it's already on video. So it's on video in Taiwan. Yeah. So I don't think you ever see it. Uh, still here. waiting. Still waiting. Are you really waiting, Paul? I kind of am. Yeah, it's kind of a you know a, a guilty Sex in the City kind of pleasure for me. Um, I know, I know it's a, tr- the films are kind of a train wreck in terms of, you know, the plasticity, plasticity of them. Uh, but I get a sense of entertainment, uh, laughing at them. Me and my wife enjoy, enjoy the, uh, uh, you know, just the, 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 the vanity of it all, I guess. Well, I'm not going to say anything because I've, I've seen part three. I went to Shenzhen to watch part three, so, uh, I won't ruin it for you, Paul. Okay, great. That's, that's good. Um, all right. Uh, you also have some news about uh, another director, though, right? Uh, Johnny Toe. We got a big yes, piece the coming. Same seminar, yeah. From the same seminar, um, Echo Films took the stage and announced that their big summer release, aside from Monster Hunt, which also starred Kai Ko and who has been recast already, replaced by Jim Baron. But anyway, they didn't mention that at the seminar. What they did mention, though, at the seminar is that their next big release in the summer is Johnny Toe's Office. This is the musical that's based on the stage play, co-written by Sylvia Chang and uh, Ever Lam. And uh, this this film will also be a musical. It stars Sylvia Chang, um, Charm Fat, Ethan Chan, Ta- uh, and Tan Wei. Um, so now it will be coming out in mainland China um, on June the 12th. And the big news here is that it will be released in 3D. Yes, this this office romantic comedy slash musical will be Johnny's Toe's first 3D film. Now I don't think we're gonna get this 3D version uh, here in Hong Kong because it seems like a um, a post production decision more than a uh, production decision, which means it probably wasn't shot for 3D because when we was gonna ask Johnny Toe to shoot a movie in 3D. Um, so it's very likely that it's only a China uh, release and that uh, we won't get this version here in Hong Kong. At least the teaser did not hint that it will be shown in 3D. It is also a very, um, actually a very strong contender to screen at this year's Cannes Film Festival, which I will be attending. So let's see, um, I will report from there and see what which version shows there, if it does show there. Yeah. I just want to see Chai and Fat sing. He might not sing. I think Sylvia Chang already said that she she won't be singing much, and that much of the singing will be left to uh, Ethan Chan, who is you know really a singer. Yeah. Um, do we expect this to be anything similar to uh, what was the last musical um, that was? It was like a musical about a musical. Um, uh, the Jay Chow film, Rooftop. No, 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 no. Um, I guess that was a musical. No, the the one with. Um, Jackie Chung and... Uh, perhaps Love. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Um, uh, sure, because I haven't seen the original play, so I don't know if that was um, a musical. That was a stage play, but I don't remember if there's any musical elements. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have no idea how how Johnny Toast got pulled us off, and I guess that's part of the mystery, right? Because yeah. the teaser didn't show. Yeah, any teaser like- does, looks like a normal movie. It doesn't look like you know. There's nothing. Even the the music playing during the teaser is not really that engaging. So hopefully, uh, the teaser is just teasing us, and that there's actually some pretty good music that's going to be coming out. It's a lot of musical-like choreography. If you saw, like, how the people moved and, and uh, the office is sort of like a really Brescian... Uh, it looks like it comes straight out of a Lars von Trier version of an office comedy or something. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's very interesting to see how, how this one would turn out, even if it's a non-musical or even if it's not in 3D. Alright. Um... And you mentioned Udine. That's going to be coming up pretty quick, right? That's right. Uh, a couple of days ago, the Udine Far East Film Festival in Italy, um, one of our favorite film festivals, even though neither neither me nor Paul have been there. Um, but a couple of good friends of ours are involved in the festival, and I've also written for the festival. So it's one of our favorite Asian film festivals in the world. But yeah, they've announced their schedule. Uh, earlier this week, and they will be opening um, on April 24th uh, with a special concert by renowned composer Joe Hisaishi. He does almost all of the uh, Studio Ghibli films and is a very well-known composer around the world, uh, in addition to Japan. So he'll be getting a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he will also be um, holding a special concert in the city. Um, and then it will be followed by the international festival premiere of Dragon Blade, the Jackie Chan period epic about Roman soldiers and exiled Chinese soldiers teaming up to uh, protect the Silk Road. Um, have you seen the film, Paul? I have not. Okay, because yeah, Jackie Chan plays a uh, like a warrior who is part of the. And I'm not even kidding. I'm saying this in English. I'm 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 quoting directly from the film the Silk Road Protection Squad <laughs> and he teams up with an exiled Roman so- uh, general played by John Cusack and he has to protect um, the young emperor of the Roman Empire from an evil general played by Adrian Brody mm. sounds fantastic film, yeah. it? anyways <laughs> uh, I saw the film in Taiwan um, and it's a very big budget period epic thing and it's perfect to open a festival like Udine, which, you know, it's also about bringing the East and the West together. Anyway, the festival will be closing on May 2nd with Trey Hark's The Taking of Tiger Mountain, which I mentioned briefly pre- uh, previously. And it's uh, it opens in Hong Kong on May 14th and had a very successful screening last week at the Hong Kong International Film Festival. And it, um, the festival will be showing the 2D version of the film because I think the local um, uh, facilities aren't equipped to show 3D films. Uh, nevertheless, you know, the perfect is a really great choice to close the festival. Um, other films that will be playing in uh, in the festival, including part one and two of Japanese sci-fi horror film Parasite, um, um, Twenty Once Again, the remake of Miss Granny, the South Korean comedy. There's a Chinese remake, uh, South Korean gangster epic Gangnam Blues. Um, what else? From China, you have uh, the Old Cinderella, which is a romance starring um, Zhang Jingchu. 
you have the international premiere of um, Helios, the terrorism thriller that is the follow-up from the directors of Cold War. Uh, the film opens in Hong Kong on May 1st anyway, so we're not getting it that late. Um, other films, you have Han Han's Road Film, The Continent. Uh, you have the, the festival's first Cambodian film ever, uh, the youth drama, The Last Rio. Uh, and also two um, restored classics, the stage, two stage sisters or the stage sisters, which uh, premiered last year at the Shanghai International Film Festival and a Japanese samurai drama, The Tragedy of Bushido. Uh, guests from Hong Kong includes uh, Herman Yao, who will be presenting um, Sarah. Uh, you also have director Teddy Chan, who will be presenting uh, Kung Fu Jungle. Um, also, the scriptwriter of Sarah will also be going. And also, the uh, four directors who are part of the uh, Hong, uh, Fresh Wave Short Film Festival will also be presenting their films at the, uh, in Italy. Um, yeah, so that's this year's Udine Film Festival. Uh, lots of good Asian films, and if you're around the area, I really suggest you guys stop by and uh, say hi to the to all our friends that will be there and catch a film in the 1,200-seat uh, cinema in the center of town. Yeah, and don't forget to eat some pizza. It's apparently really yes. good. Pizza and pasta. From what I've been told by uh, Kozo. The gelato, too. Yeah. All right, well, that's all... Well and good. We will, uh, we will be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll order some Pizza Hut and uh, be with you guys in spirit. I'm not <laughs> even. Who are going? Kozo's uh, not going. Only Tim. Uh, Tim will be going this year. Yeah, this is this is the first year that Kozo's not going. I think right. Uh, he went. He's gone pretty much every year. Uh, since he started getting involved with it, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it lasts, you know, five six years. Yeah. So it's. Uh, but you know, there's there's other people in the film community. I think uh, some of the guys from uh, the UK, uh, some of the UK uh, organizations that do film festivals and stuff, and some of the people on Facebook and stuff are going to that. It's something I wish I could go to, but unfortunately, you know, I, I don't have the freedom and flexibility that I used to when I was a young single lad like Kevin. Kevin, why aren't you going? I, I I hate to say it because um, I can't take time off for both Italy and that small independent French film festival called Cannes. Mm, yeah. So I had to choose between the two, and I can't, you know, say no to Cannes. Yeah. yeah. Cannes. Cannes. <laughs> Where's my soundboard when I need it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I gotta get on that. No, all I right. If I ever go like full time freelancer and I can fly to like festivals all over the world, then maybe I'll start going to like Udine and you know other festivals. But unfortunately, now I only have a limited time. So you can always turn your hobby of being a gigolo into a full time career and then just do the writing on the side, right? Jet I don't set. know. If people started watching that Saiwang shot in Gigolo, <laughs> start feeling like, like bad. All right, we better stop there. I don't need to throw an explicit tag on this episode. <laughs> we'll save that for for the next the next podcast. Our last bit of news: uh, going back to a movie we talked about a couple episodes ago, Little Big Master, doing pretty yes. well. Yes, one last piece of news. Um, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, we had a five day weekend last uh, weekend because of the Easter holiday and the Qingming Festival holiday. So um, obviously the cinemas were packed. Um, 
Fast and Furious 7 made like 29 million Hong Kong dollars, which actually it's crazy because it's already surpassed the growth of Furious 6. So that's how popular that film is here. But uh, another little miracle story is actually the success of Little Big Master. The film earned another 11.6 million on its third weekend um, over the five day holiday. That uh, brings its total up to 32.3 Hong Kong dollars. 32.3 million Hong Kong dollars. That's about 4.17 million uh, US dollars for you, those of you overseas who don't want to use XE.com to um, you know, work out the equation. But yeah, that actually makes it the highest grossing Chinese language film in Hong Kong of 2015, beating out From Vegas to Macau 2. And it has also made actually a rare co-production that makes more money in Hong Kong than in China. Even though it says more about its commercial prospects in China than in Hong Kong. But yeah, uh, I know, Paul, you're a huge fan of the film. And when I watched the film, it was, you know, in a pretty packed house. And a lot of people were, you know, really touched by the film. Um, I don't share similar opinion about the film, but I won't talk about that. But yeah, uh, so it seems like this film is really connecting with local audiences, Paul. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm glad it's doing well and... Uh... It, uh, I, I think it's for locals, it's, I, I, I can see why it's popular because it is a local story and it touches on issues that I think a lot of people, you know, can relate to. I mean, it's about, you know, education for the children and making sacrifices and, and these kind of themes. So I'm, I'm pleased that it's doing really, really well and I hope that it continues to, uh, do even more so once it, uh, hits, you know, some of the secondary markets. Yeah, right now they're saying that uh, they're targeting for about 40 million here in Hong Kong and possibly climbing up to uh, one of the top 10 highest grossing local films of all time. Wow. Um, that brings it up to like Stephen Chow like numbers. And, I, you know, it might even beat 3D Sector Zen. God forbid. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the little film that could. Uh, yeah, yeah, no one expected to do this well. My, my, my hope, though, is that it it's not something that uh, producers look at and say, oh, now we've got to make a little big master two and they just try and cash in, you know, on a, with a, with a similar formula. I think that would be, that would be the wrong way to go with this. I mean, let the film be what it is, let it be successful, let it stand on its own merits, but don't, uh, don't milk it. Yeah, let's hope so. But then again, this is like the hyper commercial environment of Hong Kong film industry. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up from for news this week. Uh, let's take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back to talk about a review of Two Thumbs Up. Okay, and we're back. Our film this week is uh, from uh, freshman director Lao Ho Lung, uh, who 
has been working in the film industry. He's got quite a few credits, a um, couple as an actor, a um, couple listed as story, but a lot of credits as a writer. You will know his work from films perhaps like um, Let's Sing Along, uh, one of Anita Moy's films, uh, Visible Secret 2, um, let's see what else has he got here, uh, The Three Kingdoms, Resurrection of the Dragon, Painted Skin, Once a Gangster, Bruce Lee, My Brother, um, you know, list goes on. Uh, more recently, he's worked on both Kung Fu Jungle and But Always from last year. And uh, so, you know, a lot of these films, if we were to sort of go through them uh, one after the other, uh, some that I really like and some that are kind of misses. Um, so he's, he's, you know, uh, not always consistent in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the, the quality of what he's working on. But I think that in part, you know, uh, Films are you know, don't come down to just the writer. A lot of times, it's uh, other elements coming into play. Uh, but this is his really, I guess, what we would consider his directorial debut, and he also worked as the writer on this particular film as well. Let me talk a little bit about the story. So this is what I would describe as a fictional urban crime comedy, um, and in this movie, the line between heroes and villains gets blurred. The story follows the reunion of character Big F, played by Francis M, and his three fellow hoodlums uh, after he's discharged from prison. Eager to get back to acquiring money, he convinces them to disguise a minibus as a police van in order to pull off a rather complex heist that involves robbing smugglers who use corpses as mules to sneak money across the border. But when another gang pulls the exact same heist using the exact same method on the exact same night, a comedic robbery of errors ensues. Um, so that's kind of the film uh, encapsulated. And of course, there are a lot of set pieces in, at different points in the film that make this, um, you know, make, make, make this a much larger sort of scale story than I've just kind of summarized there. But primarily, it's four actors who are carrying this film and a fifth actor who kind of serves as a narrator more than anything else. So you've got Francis Ng as Big F, and he's uh, kind of shown from the start of the film uh, coming out of prison and uh, getting reunited with his buddies. His buddies include Simon Yam as a character called Crazy B, um, which is weird because... They don't really call him Crazy B in Cantonese. They just call him Abo in Cantonese. But his English name is translated uh, over in the subtitles as Crazy B. Uh, Patrick Tam as Johnny T. And Mark Cheng as East L. And so these guys are, you know, have been running together for a while. And apparently their last heist didn't go so well. And Francis ended up getting incarcerated. And they have a bit of backstory where... He blames Simon Yam um, in, in part for that heist going wrong, and they get into that a little bit. But he comes up with this crazy scheme. They want to pull off this robbery, and they figure the best way to do that is to disguise themselves as police in, uh, in a police van. And so they have access to a minivan, and ultimately they say, we're, we're going to basically steal parts off of old discharged police vans and you know, sort of transform the minibus into a police van, which is, in in my book, that's comedic genius, the way they kind of execute it, because it's super funny. You have to understand that the minivan in Hong Kong is kind of this ubiquitous thing that 
most people in you know middle and lower class have to use to get around Hong Kong. Um, and so the idea that you're going to take you know parts from a police vehicle and slap them on, but the interior is still the interior of a minivan, <laughs> and that these guys are just kind of sitting around in this space and arguing and, and trying to get these things to go, to, to go the way they want, I found to be very, very funny. Um, and so a lot of, because a lot of this film is taking place on the minibus, in some ways it kind of reminded me of The Midnight After from last year, um, which was also sort of minibus-centric. And they do have a mention, um, uh, at least to the Chinese title, of the film uh, Lost in Time. And I don't think it's a direct mention of that film, but I think that it's sort of a uh, a mention by proxy because they have it kind of worked into the dialogue. And that film, of course, with um, Lao Ching-Wan and Cecilia Chung, also about uh, minibuses. And this film is kind of set in this weird future alternate reality of Hong Kong. And they've got this whole kind of thing, this backstory going on in the background uh, about a huge cockroach infestation, and people are very, very uh, upset about this, and uh, they make reference to this guy who's a cockroach farmer. And I was talking with Kevin about this off-air, wondering, is this supposed to be indicative of a cur current political undertones here in Hong Kong and, and, a, and a representation? And we, I think we both agree that it's very, very loose if it is. It's very difficult to make that direct, distinct political connection. It might possibly be there, but it also might be a case that we're just reaching to see that as well. Um, so there's some stuff like that that's here. The movie does start off a little bit slow, but by the midpoint, it starts to um, kick it up a notch and get in a little bit into overdrive. Um, it's got some kind of zany moments. I mean, there's this whole sequence that involves bowling, and that comes into play later on. Bowling's not a really huge thing here in Hong Kong, and a couple of the lanes that I used to go to um, have actually disappeared. In fact, one of the places we go and watch movies at quite frequently used to have a bowling lane that's now gone. And you uh, to bowl there quite often, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And, and but, uh, you know, the, it's the, the way that they construct this, the, the lane that they're at, I don't even know where that was. I don't think that was a place in Hong Kong. I think that might have been part of the Malaysia shot because um, uh, apparently they'd had a Malaysia crew doing some of the filming. Um, or maybe that's up in Shenzhen. Uh, it could be. I'm not sure. Do you know? Happen to know Kevin? If that lane they were at, the uh, Angels and Devils Bowling Alley, is a is a place nearby, or I don't think that's I think Hong there Kong. There is bowling alley in Hong Kong, but I don't remember where it is. But as far as I think, there is still at least one bowling alley in Hong Kong. Well, yeah, I know there's one. Uh, there's one over by uh, by Mega Box, right? Um, I, I went there year or two ago i think that one's still going but that th this place they're at is um they have an outside shot of it with a big sort of marquee maybe that was a set that was constructed but it looked like a pretty yeah that was a cg uh, yeah that, you think that was do you think that outside shot was cg yeah yeah that outside shot was CG. okay so there's no 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 space in hong kong like that just yeah to, it, like, it, it, it looked like, kind of weird i thought maybe all right maybe it was malaysia or, or up in shenzhen but anyway so bowling's a feature here um and um, so once the guys do undergo the transformation and they head out onto the road to try and, and pull off this case, um, they're very nervous at first because they think, you know, people are going to are going to recognize that this is not really a police van, but it's a minibus. But then, you know, after a couple encounters, 
you know, they realize that people think they're police and they, you know, when you see a police guy come around, you start to straighten up and you act all proper and you try not to jaywalk and things like that. And so they realize, you know, they've got a little bit of sense of superiority now. And uh, so it, it takes off from there a little bit. Um, and they actually run across um, a couple a, a couple coincidental things um, uh, that happen. For example, they they pull over these uh, guys who are speeding, and it turns out that they've kidnapped this girl, and so they're stopping sort of a kidnap and rape in progress. And they're 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 criminals. They want to just you know rob the money, but now they've got these guys pulled over. So what do they do? How do they handle it? Um, and uh, I won't. I won't spoil what they actually do because I think it's a funny one of the funnier parts of the movie. But um, you know, it's it's that interesting dilemma about you know he, being a hero versus being a villain and where does the line lie? And in the midst of all this, you have Leo Ku, who is a po actual police officer, and he gets embroiled into the plot um, in part because of just some strange coincidental circumstances that lead him to discover that uh, pieces of police vehicles are missing. And I have to say, he is the best and luckiest detective ever. Mm -hmm. uh, because not only does he put two and two together almost instantaneously, uh, you know, he's a little bit, he's like, he's kind of like Sherlock in, in this regard. Um, but he also happens to be assigned um, to the responding call to the rape case uh, a little bit later. And, I mean, this is Hong Kong. I mean, they have lots of different police districts, and the fact that he's just assigned in that area at that time, um, it's coincidences like this that actually happen a couple times throughout the film that make things a little bit too neat and a little bit too packaged. And I think that um, this gets down to the writing a little bit, and I think that it's... Um, you know, I know that he's trying to, to tell a story here, but um, it, 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 it all falls a little bit too neatly. And this, this carries through with one of the other subplots, with, which deals with a little girl who gets involved with, uh, with the guys and the way that that ends up getting resolved. Because the film actually has a couple dark moments, but it wants to be sort of this light, more light, energetic comedy at times, this comedy of errors. And overall, I think it carries through that feeling of the film, but it does so in by sacrificing the writing in a couple places because it makes these coincidental happenings happen that make you think, all right, well, once, okay, twice, I'm having a difficult time suspending my disbelief, three times now, you know, it's really starting to push it. Um, but beyond that, it's really a film about um, the interaction between the, the gang of guys and they all work well work very well together um, Mark Cheng is sort of a you know a, 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 the, the minibus driver who can't see without his glasses he's kind of blind as a bat um, you've got Simon Yam with this kind of afro it looks crazy Francis has got they've all got kind of crazy hair um, the Patrick Tam's got crazy hair uh, Mark Cheng's the only one who's kind of got a normal haircut and He's the only one who really looks like a police officer once they get the uniforms on. The other guys just l totally look like they're phoning it in, that they don't belong in those uniforms. Um, but that's part of the, the overall humor. And I really felt that the film could do without the Leo Ku character, because one of the things he ends up doing is kind of narrating um, stuff that's happening as you go through the film, as he's putting these things together. And you really don't need that narration here. 
Um, the film does jump around in time sequence a couple places, and it gets it can be a little jarring. Uh, but over the overall, it's pretty straightforward and pretty linear. So I think they probably could have just written his character out um, and just had more spent more time with the four characters, the four guys, and the things that are happening to them, and it would have been much more interesting. Um, there's lots of American comic book references, too. Again, getting back to this idea of the hero. Um, there's this Batman balloon that kind of floats throughout scenes at certain places. You see scarecrows with a Batman and a Captain America costume at, at one point. And uh, Susan Shaw is is here in a cameo. Um, and she has some interaction with uh, Leo Ku's character. Uh, but most of, most of the time that I had fun with the film was when the guys were kind of in crazy mode and there's chases going on and all of this ultimately culminates into this showdown between the rival gang who's trying to get the money and they're in a police vehicle dressed as police and and uh, the gang of main characters who are dressed as police and uh, the, the kind of back and forth that they end up having um, that you would come to expect if you've seen any of the Shakespeare comedies very similar things happen here um, in terms of, you know, mistaken identities and switcheroos and last minute changes and things that you expect. Um, you know, you're shown one thing and you have one expectation and it turns out that that thing was, that you expected was actually not what was really going on. Um, so some switcheroos happen and overall it's pretty entertaining, but by the end they build to this big chase and this big kind of confrontational showdown that goes over the top and uses some CG where I think practical effects would have been a better way to go because the CG kind of looks bad. Um, and it's not really that they really needed to use CG. I think that if this film would have been done in the 90s, they would have just gone with fully practical effects and they could have pulled it off with some creativity pretty cheaply and it would have looked much better. Um, but here the film kind of gets washed out because they're using lower-end CGI, and so it doesn't really fit with the overall look and the lighting of the rest of the film. And so that's a little bit of a downer. But overall, I had fun uh, watching the film, and despite the the, the, the kind of cruddy, pra uh, cruddy CGI effects at the end. And um, I'd say it, when you watch this, be sure to stick through it because um, you get... Um, some additional information. There's a credit scene, there's kind of a mid-credit dialogue that happens, and then there's finally a post-credit shot, uh, like right at the very end that comes up. And all of those add a little bit more to the film itself. Um, so be sure you stick around for that when you're watching it. Um, the phrase, too, two thumbs up, is something that uh, is sort of central to the Francis M. character and comes up and it's explained in a couple points throughout the film. And uh, yeah, I'd say for a freshman directorial effort, I'd give it two thumbs up too. Um, I had fun. I laughed quite a bit in a couple places. Certainly not a perfect film, um, but better than a lot of films I've seen. Um, you know, and I appreciated that it was trust. It was not going for being simply the straight forward crime drama and that he was trying for something a little bit different more in the crime comedy genre. Um, so in that in in that instance, I liked it a little bit more than I would have if it would have been more of a traditional sort of Hong Kong cops and robbers show. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit, and uh, if you get a chance, I'd uh, recommend to see it.
for listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for our show this week. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter. That's Twitter uh, at uh, twitter.com slash concast. Uh, you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you feedback. Do you like what we're doing? Would you like us to change the format? Is it too long, too short? Um, or, you know, are there other things you'd like us to be talking about on here? Whatever it is, let us know, and uh, we'll be happy to hear from you. Kevin, where can they keep up with you at? Uh, me. Well, you could read my daily news writing on www.fimbiz.asia. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, The Golden Rock. That's one word, The Golden Rock. You can also email me at kevin at fimbiz.asia. Um, please tell me how awesome my Batman voice is, and I will do it again on the show. Um yeah, and I'm known as the Golden Rock on various social media. If you can find me, so that's that's it. All right, that's great. Uh, next episode, uh, episode one sixty one. Um, not not sure at this moment what we're going to be talking about. It looks like probably the next film I will get out to see is going to be uh, the Category Three film Angel Whispers, um, directed by actress Carrie M, or co-directed, I should say. Uh, I think that's probably the next thing. There's also a mainland film coming out next week. Do you remember what that is, Kevin? No, next week. Oh, Wolf Warriors. That's the the new Wu Jing film. No, no. There's something about uh, marriage or something. The Wonderful Wedding. That's a Taiwan yeah, yeah. film. Oh, that's a Taiwan film. That's a Taiwan New Year comedy. Okay, okay, yeah. So, uh, th- yeah, those are all in the week upcoming. But most likely, my priority will be for the. Carrie M film, though I'm not really keen on Category 3 all that much, uh, but I do like her, and I'm interested to see how she takes on uh, the director's chair. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, saying always wear your seatbelt when you're riding in a minivan, and we will see you next time. All right, see you next time, everybody. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, saying, um, I don't know, I didn't write something to say this week, so. Put on seatbelt on a minivan. What, what is that? Remember to keep your seatbelt on in a minivan.